0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Between Two Term Sheets, where we meet with prominent investors, founders, venture builders, and accelerators to discuss early stage funding in the high technology space. Our host is Owen Matthews, founder, CEO, serial investor, and chairman of Alacrity Canada. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Term Sheets. Uh, we've got a special guest today, Vinny from Insight Partners. Vinny, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. You know, as usual, we're 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 talking about uh, the different issues that affect entrepreneurs and uh, and what the funding environment is like. So so, again, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us.
1: Yeah, happy to do it. I'm
0: excited. All right. Well, tell us about Insight. You're you're based in New York, which is uh, which is a great place to be. You know, big uh, big mature funding market. Uh, not necessarily famous for technology like Silicon Valley, but uh, you're based in New York. Give us an overview of the fund types of things that you invest in, size, scale, you know, all, all the stuff that uh, that you probably are accustomed to talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let me give you a snapshot of, of the fund today um, with a little sprinkle of the history. I'll start with the, the history quickly. So Insight was started about 24, 25 years ago as a pretty small firm, um, at least by today's standards, uh, started as a $24 million fund, really under the hypothesis that it made sense And it made the most sense for funds to dedicate themselves to one asset class. And for us, that was software. And obviously, that was a good bet. It was a good piece of real estate. So every fund has been bigger than the last. And we're now investing out of our 10th fund, closed this year, a $6.3 billion fund. So orders of magnitude larger. Despite that, a lot of the team remains the same and the focus absolutely remains the same. So we're still looking for high-quality software businesses. Um, now, obviously, the check size that we write has changed, um, but we haven't just kind of turned into a stodgy private equity firm. So we'll write checks anywhere from $10 million on the low end um, to, you know, the hundreds of millions on the high end. Um, and what's great about being a New York City-based firm is you're equidistant between the West Coast and London. I personally split my time um, or at least investment time uh, between the European market and the U.S. market um, as far as comparing New York to San Francisco, then obviously you start to see a slightly different type of company and we maybe have a slightly, uh, different bar, slightly later stage focused, slightly more traction focused bar that, uh, that I think the Canadian market is really well suited to pass, frankly. Um, Canadian investors historically and, and currently have been a slightly more conservative with how they, value companies with what they're looking for. And so, you know, we've got Canadian investments from Shopify to Hootsuite um, and quite a few others, ritual and so forth. But what's always refreshing about the Canadian environment is one, how collaborative it is. And everybody really kind of wraps their arms around you and is happy to make introductions because I think historically speaking, there's been a a dearth of capital in the market. Um, And we've been very happy to kind of help where we can fill that in the sense that, you know, we're we're speaking with entrepreneurs that are focused on unit economics, they're focused on customer relationships. And what we bring to the table is the kind of ability to know how, at least, around scaling businesses from the few million and run rate to the 10, and then even harder from the 10 to the 100 plus. And so the result is that the team that's driving that is we've got 35 plus people here that are all ex-operators or ex-consultants that are clustered into, you know, recruiting teams, product-focused teams, sales, marketing, et cetera, everything that that a software company needs. And we want to be the firm that always kind of has the answer, not just pointing you in the right direction, but actually getting you on the phone with the right person to speak to to help you revamp your pricing or uh revamp your sales team or whatever it might be. So we try to invest heavily in the muscle behind the money and and the result is that especially when speaking with Canadian companies, but just in general, um, we're able to say, listen, we see you've you've proven out X, Y, and Z and built a great business. Now what we want to do is bring you into, you know, this many more markets or 10X the sales team and help you really build a a global organization, and, and we look for founders that um, have that same level of ambition. Well, as you know,
0: we're we're focused on expanding around the world, which is why we have offices in in you know far flung places like Istanbul and India and Shanghai, and you know yep. so, so our, our ethos is, is very similar. Uh, but you're quite right. In Canada, there there is typically a lack of capital. We've done very well in the past few years. On the earlier stage, but but the, that scale up, which is which sounds like where you guys have landed, you know, ten million check size and above, that that's you know harder to find here, and we tend to be pretty disciplined around the fundamentals, getting sales and and understanding the unit economics. So that that's yep. uh, that's great, and and appreciate which is your help.
1: refreshing, by the way. Yeah. it's it's extremely refreshing to speak with Canadian uh, investors and entrepreneurs because. Uh, um, Times are a little bit crazy right now um, in the U.S., especially in the, the ecosystem uh, around San Francisco.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So, I mean, New York, obviously, from from, from the perspective of uh, funding, has has been a world center for finance for a long, long time. Uh, obviously, Silicon Valley, famous for famous for the technology. What's the technology venture capital scene like in New York? I'm assuming there's lots of funds.
1: Yeah, no, I, there, there are lots of funds, absolutely. Um, I'd say San Francisco is absolutely still a center of gravity for our industry, um, so no way to uh, ignore it. And I don't think anyone here really views it as a competition. The reality is we have all turned um, kind of first to our immediate geographies and have been really excited by the number of accelerators, incubators uh, that are now kind of are starting to produce serious Series A, Series B opportunities. And compared to 10 years ago, it's a completely different situation on the East Coast in general. But every firm with uh, a significant amount of capital to deploy, I'd say, and let's set the bar, significance is probably the wrong word, but once you're in the billion plus dollar fund size range, I think you need to really look Out of your immediate vicinity. And, uh, and so for that reason, I mean, we're investing 30 plus percent outside of the U.S. We're investing significantly outside of New York, outside of San Francisco, even, and all throughout the U.S. in cities like, you know, Salt Lake, where we just had obviously an excellent exit in in Qualtrics, but another IPO in Plural site this year. In cities like that, where, uh, we're extremely excited by those. Ecosystems maturing just as much as as the New York City ecosystem. And historically speaking, New York City has a lot of funds initially, uh, maybe more slated towards the other kind of Titan industries that are here, you know, media, finance, et cetera. And so there is a lot of clustering around both companies and investors around fintech um, and around media. And today, I'd say that there's another solid pillar and just other application software. So that's that's changed quite a bit over the past five years. Well, that's, that's a great summary. Thanks. And you're you're in, you're in a large
0: fund now, you know, billion-plus fund yep. size. Is getting stuff done a challenge? I mean, you, you, you when you get to that scale, you have to have much more, you know, sort of thorough investment committee, and and I'm sure there's processes and procedures that you end up uh, having to get through. So in a fund of your size, how, how are the mechanics? How are you getting deals done?
1: Yeah, I'd say it's important to not be fooled by the sheer volume of people. I'd say if Insight were, you look at a lot of, call it five to $10 billion funds and they do five or 10 investments per year. That is frankly that for me, that would be a tough environment to be someone who's attempting at least to be a deal maker. When you look at Insight, Insight overall does 30, 35 deals a year with fairly active management, and it's a mix of minority and majority positions. With those numbers, those numbers allow for more of a federation approach. And so we have an extremely high and well-codified bar with the companies that we invest in. But you have to take a step back and look at our model because we're speaking with 25, 30,000 companies a year. A small subset of those two hundred and fifty. 300 companies, we are looking at really, really, really seriously. And then we're turn around and investing in 10% of those. Now, because we have that type of volume, and we look hard at companies, we look at companies hard, but also relatively quickly. So the goal here is to be able to go from initial meeting being positive on a Monday, to get the full data download uh, and, and schedule a follow-up meeting with the entrepreneur on one hand to spend time looking at competitors and doing a variety of expert calls and market work on the other side so that we can sit down with our investment committee the following Monday. So never longer than a week feedback cycle is the ideal. And if the deal merits it, then then that can be a term sheet cycle as well, right? So the last thing we want to do is is overcommit. But I would say Insight, given its size, given the fund size especially, is a really really surprisingly kind of federated model and and one where if you're a a deal quarterback you can get things done and very much um a meritocracy in, in in that sense as well that's great
0: again it's difficult to get things done so setting a bar in terms of what you expect a deal to look like having clarity allows you to get your job done you understand if you meet the bar and having teams around you that lean in and do the due diligence and and get work done quickly allows you to Present deals to investment committees and and get them over the line.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Excellent. So so, what type of pitches do you like? You got a relatively high bar that you you expect your uh, you expect your entrepreneurs and and obviously the companies they represent to meet. Lots of entrepreneurs look for advice around how they should approach you. What's ideal? I, I typically you know encourage entrepreneurs to avoid a, a classic pitch. You know where you have you know let's go through twelve slides and at the end of it you know tell me where I stand. Uh, I, I encourage entrepreneurs mm-hmm. to seek advice, get into that funnel. I mean, you've got a funnel of companies coming to you. Get into that funnel, make sure that you're interested, make sure you meet the criteria. And then when you know you've got somebody behind you, then you go in and do a formal pitch. But you know, walk me through yep. the type of ways that you like to be approached and, and the ways in which the pitches work for you. Obviously, coming in yep. cold with a 12-slide deck typically doesn't, doesn't land into a successful deal. Walk me through the ways that you see the, the deals getting done.
1: So um, I'll take a step back from that. The pitches that I like and that I think investors like, at least growth investors like, are not necessarily the pitches that are best for entrepreneurs, right? Because a growth investor is going to flip immediately to the back of the deck, try to look for both unit economics and overall traction, and then make a quick flip judgment. Now, you have to be patient with these people and recognize, I think, that a pitch is a two-way interview, and so what I'd recommend to entrepreneurs is look at the person you're speaking with, look at the companies that they work with, look at the portfolio of overall companies of the firm and align with some of them, um, either in, in vertical uh, or model, uh, ideally both, right? And then when you sit down with them, force them to take two minutes and actually listen to, okay, this is, you know, you uh, assume you've shared the deck already with them. This is why you're sitting in a room with me and why I'm the person that's going to build this, right? And it's, in a, and it's a mixture of just showing your passion, your ambition, and then ideally your experience in the space. And, and you can keep it short and sweet, but that part, a lot of investors actually say, you know, I don't necessarily even care about that part if, if they're willing to admit it. And even though they may say that, everybody that kind of really creeps in and supports the pitch being either fluff or very well substantiated. And then after that, you should use the next four to five minutes as an opportunity to say, hey, listen, I saw you did XYZ investments. What else do you do in our space just to kind of suck out what they already know about your space? And and by the way, assess if they would be a good partner right off the bat, just from their domain knowledge. I think after that, what, what a lot of entrepreneurs can kind of glaze over are the market dynamics. And so I try to say focus on why nobody else can build this, right? And that's not the standard. Here's the problem. Here's the solution slide. It's actually why we have been able to build this, build this and, and, and nobody else can build it. Um, and that's different for every single business. But at the end of the day, that and your unit economics, um, and unit economics, I mean, both your margins, but also kind of payback period and what you've been able to prove out on a sales team are all that you need to kind of buy into a model and, and build out what you need as an investor. So I know that's kind of high level. I can go in more detail if it's helpful. Well,
0: no, I mean, every pitch is a little bit different, but that is, that's is—that's great advice. Very important that people understand that, you know, they are absolutely interviewing their investor. They, they want to make sure that you have domain expertise that, that you're going to be a contributor, uh, and at the same time, getting right to this, you know, getting right to the specifics. Is this a set of economics that I can that I can live with and make sense to sense to invest in? That that is a huge change from when I started in the business. It was it was much more subjective. Uh, now you've got a lot of clarity around how you're acquiring customers, the cost of acquiring customers, and uh, you can be really really objective. So You can be really specific. This set of metrics and objective data, they work for us and it's the kind of thing that, that prompts the, the growth of company and value of the company that we support. And that's very, very, very good. Now, high level, you
1: know, other advice
0: you'd give to entrepreneurs?
1: You know, I'll only add one thing, uh, because just about everyone in my family is an entrepreneur and, and I was an entrepreneur in a previous life. Really don't feel pressured about your capital partners. Um, in, in many ways, I think the OK investors think about themselves, think about their markup, think about the next round. And you can't blame them for that. But they, that ethos kind of creates a, a culture that's addicted to capital. And what I hate, hate, hate to see are founder CEOs that do well and have a great exit and own 5% of their company at exit. And so it's worth Founders thinking through their own kind of cap table math after round after round after round, and then thinking about thinking outside of the box a little bit about what can I change to change the cash flow dynamics of my business, and why am I worried about the cash flow dynamics? Well, that means I'm going to raise less, or maybe I need to educate my little myself a little bit more about you know revolving credit facilities or or any kind of other I'll call it cheaper types of capital and then on the flip side of of you know just thinking about dilution optimizing for the right partner it is everybody says this but but sometimes people feel pressure it is absolutely a marriage and so if you don't find yourself um jiving with a person in personality right and you should be doing back channel references before you take anyone's money but if you're not getting back from that person that they're going to be a good cheerleader that when one or two quarters go poorly, they're not going to become disinterested or or punitive or anything like that, right? This is the hardest journey anyone could take, and, and you're already crazy for starting a business, so you need to do it with the right people, um, and, and you want to be compensated for it. So just going back to those two points, um, they seem obvious, but but people, you know, I see them make this mistake all the time, and then sometimes we can. Come in and help them out and clean it up, but oftentimes, you know, it's it's a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. Um, it breaks my heart uh, to to see entrepreneurs, you know, not do well when they are are objectively doing uh, great, great work.
0: Well, that and and the type of you know uh, funding options that are available, there's a there's a lot more maturity now around you know uh, funding software businesses with with debt. Yep, uh, that that industry, if we'll call it that, uh, is maturing rapidly. So, so there are other, you know, funds available that aren't necessarily dilutive.
1: 100%. Yep. And, and people should consider their, their duty to educate themselves on that ecosystem.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. No, likewise. Thanks for having me. Um, and hopefully talk to you soon. All right. Great. Thanks.
0: That's it for today's show. You've been listening to Between Two Term Sheets. Our show is hosted by Owen Matthews, produced by Anya Vysotska, and brought to you by Alacrity Canada. Head to alacritycanada.com to find out more about Alacrity and our other initiatives. You can find more episodes of Between Two Term Sheets for free wherever you listen to podcasts.